Fragments of Fright, the complete series, is now available. All five volumes of the international best-selling series bundle together into one convenient horrifying collection. Go to Amazon and search for Fragments of Fright Complete Series or go to maniacontheloose.com slash books. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. The Shooting Star I'm a 41-year-old man who is married to a lovely wife. I have four kids whose ages range from 5 to 15. Look, I love my family more than anything, but life with them can be chaotic and loud, so once a year I need to take a solo vacation to get some alone time. And when I say alone time... I really mean alone time. The Daniel Boone National Forest in eastern Kentucky consists of over two million acres and has some of the most beautiful scenery you can find anywhere. That's my hideaway for five days every year. I hike deep into the most secluded areas of the forest and try to find a private lake or river to pitch my tent next to. By the end of my first day, I had found the perfect spot. A beautiful, isolated area next to a small waterfall cascading into a large pond. That night, I filled up my belly with food that I had packed and laid out under the stars, taking in the sky's beauty as I breathed in the refreshing, clean air. I slept like a baby. The next morning, I got up and immediately decided that I'd do some serious fishing. Fresh seafood sounded nice. I was chopping wood in preparation for the roaring campfire I'd cook my dinner over when my axe head got lodged in the trunk of a stubborn stump. As I reached down and pulled the axe blade from the stump, my hand slipped and the blade sliced through the palm of my hand. It was a fairly deep gash. I pulled out my first aid kit, winced in pain as I poured hydrogen peroxide into the cut, and then wrapped it up firmly. The wound was throbbing, but I wasn't going to let that ruin my trip, and I sat by the pond and had a successful bout of fishing. Plenty to fulfill my seafood feast fantasy. I changed my bandage multiple times during the day. The pain of the wound was intensifying, and my flesh around the wound was red and inflamed. I was afraid it was on its way to being infected. As I ate my tasty fish dinner that evening, I contemplated whether or not I should cut my vacation short and get my cut looked at. I hated the idea of leaving. I had barely had a chance to settle in, but I decided that if it were worse the next morning, I'd hike out of the forest and get it taken care of. The sky had just begun to darken when I saw a shooting star in the distance. It was the brightest, most brilliant shooting star I had ever seen. It had a flaming tail and was growing brighter rather than fading away in the sky. I stood up and squinted to make sure my eyes weren't playing tricks on me, and they definitely were not. The shooting star was getting larger and more intense by the second. Then I finally realized that it was blazing right toward me. I ducked as the flaming ball whooshed over the top of the forest, clipping massive treetops along the way. It whizzed right over my head, temporarily painting the sky red with flame. I could hear it crashing through timber in the distance, and the ground shook 
as it crashed into the forest floor. Pillars of smoke blanketed the sky, slithering its way above the trees. Based on the smoke, I estimated the downed meteorite to be just a couple miles away. I grabbed my flashlight and hurried toward the crash site. The darkening sky actually made it easier for me to find the meteorite, as I could see the glow of flames in the distance. But as I approached the crashed meteor, I realized it wasn't a meteor at all. It was a vessel. It was approximately 10 feet long and propped up against the trunk of a gigantic tree. It looked like a teardrop with the sharp side pointing at the sky. It was gunmetal gray in color and was battered, bent, and slightly twisted around the tree. There was some kind of hatch at the bottom of the craft that was hanging open and a soft trail of smoke was spilling from it. It took me a moment to recognize what seemed so out of place. Scattered throughout the scorched earth surrounding the craft were flowers. Dozens and dozens of flowers. They had the appearance of daisies, but their petals were a pale yellow and glistened as if wet. As I got closer, I realized that the texture of the flowers looked soft almost as if they had been sculpted out of butter. I could see a medium-sized bag hanging out of the open hatch. The bag looked metallic, almost as though it were made from aluminum foil, and the contents of the bag were spilling out onto the ground. They were seeds, small seeds that reminded me of black beans, and the instant they touched the soil of the forest, Another buttery flower emerged from the earth. I couldn't help myself and reached out with my injured hand as I attempted to caress one of the flower's petals. When I did this, the flower melted over my entire hand. It felt like cold, thick lotion. I was startled at first, but then I realized that it was instantly soothing my injured hand. The throbbing was gone. The inflamed heat around the wound had vanished. I unwrapped the bandage from my hand and looked down at the gash. I was utterly shocked to see that my hand was completely healed. It was as though I had never been cut at all. These flowers were some kind of a healing miracle. There must have been over a hundred of them now and then there was the bag of seeds. Had I discovered the cure to all pain, suffering, and illness on Earth? It was quite possible. As I reached forward to snatch the bag of seeds from the open hatch of the spacecraft, I let out a scream of shock as a hand dropped down from the interior of the craft and dangled out of the hatch. The hand was about the size of mine, but the fingers were long and slender. The flesh of the creature was dried, flaky, and pale gray. As I stared at the lifeless hand, I contemplated what to do. But then the fingers of the alien hand began to twitch. This creature was still alive. I grabbed the hand and gave it a tug. In doing so, the creature became dislodged from wherever it was stuck and dropped from the craft onto the forest floor. The creature was motionless on the ground. It was very human-like, but abnormally slender. It was naked, but was without genitals or a navel. Its head was large and oval. Its eyes were huge and solid navy blue. It had no nose and a mere slit for a mouth. As I looked at it and considered what actions to take, the creature weakly reached out for one of the flowers but couldn't extend its arm far enough, so I helped. I pushed one of the healing flowers onto the creature's hand. It instantly melted and its hand transitioned from dry and flaky to polished and glistening. Its drab gray color became a bright purple. I pushed more flowers toward the creature and it began rubbing the oily substance all over its body. It then opened its slit mouth 
revealing a row of intimidating razor fangs and ingested several of the flowers. Within seconds, the creature was shining a vivid shade of purple and its flesh was smooth as glass. The alien leaned back against its ship and took in several deep breaths before rising. It stood staring at me for a long moment before it opened its mouth in what I hoped was a smile, but appeared to be more of a snarl. I gasped as it rushed toward me, wrapped its slender but amazingly strong fingers around my throat, and shoved me against the tree. I was defenseless as it raised its other hand up and slowly moved it toward my face. I let out a cry for help when one of the alien's fingers elongated to a sharp point. It then shoved its spiked finger into my ear. I could feel its electrified digit digging deeper into my head and I swear it felt like it was wrapping itself around my brain. I was going to die. I was going to die. Then suddenly, I felt at peace. Evidently, the alien had tapped into a part of my mind that allowed it to communicate with me. Loosely translated, it said the following. My mission was to destroy your planet. However, after saving my life, I cannot in good conscience end yours. Mission aborted. After the alien withdrew its communication device from my head, I observed as it slathered the buttery flowers all over its ship, which miraculously repaired it. A few seconds later, it shot off into the sky and disappeared into the night. I probably stood there and stared up into space for an hour before heading back to my campsite. And in case you're wondering, I stayed and finished my vacation. After saving the planet, I figured I deserved it. The Psychic Hotline The Customer I'm single and don't date very often. Tonight was the first date I had in nearly a year. The man's name was Chad. We were matched on a dating website. He never showed. I sat in that restaurant and waited. I messaged him several times, but he didn't reply. Oh well. It's not the first time this happened to me. I'm not what one may refer to as a head-turner. I have long black hair, my skin is fair, I wear glasses. Most people would probably describe me as average, some might call me homely. Men who like the librarian look may find me attractive. Literally, I'm a librarian. When I got back home, I made myself a nice tall glass of lemonade. I was hungry since I didn't get to eat on the date as I had planned, so I threw a TV dinner in the oven and then sat on the couch and started flipping through channels on the television. I couldn't find any programs that intrigued me, but paused when I saw a commercial for a psychic hotline. Their sales pitch beckoned me. They encouraged viewers to call for a better grasp on what the future may hold. They insisted their psychics were scrutinized with a variety of tests, and they only hired the best. They swore that their psychics could be trusted, and they offered a money-back guarantee on the first call. The first five minutes were free, and it was $1 per minute after that. Or I could sign up for the annual package and save big. I had called once before, but I'm shy, and I hung up as soon as the psychic introduced herself. But this time was going to be different. I was going to at least take advantage of the first five minutes that were free. If it wasn't going well, I'd just hang up. I have to admit, I grew anxious as the phone rang, but when I heard the cheerful voice of the psychic on the other end of the line, I immediately relaxed. 
Hello, this is Psychic Gina. I hope you're having a super day. Can I get your first name, please? My name is Mary. Hi, Mary. Let's get right into this, shall we? I get a sense that your employment revolves around reading or maybe books. Are you a writer or a book editor or maybe work someplace that has a lot of books? I was rather shocked. Wow, yes, I'm a librarian. And you've recently had some kind of a disappointment. I'm feeling like this may have happened today. A bad date, perhaps? I paused for a few seconds. How could she know this? Yes, I was stood up tonight. For the next 45 minutes, we talked and talked. She told me things about myself that some of my closest friends didn't even know. Gina was the real thing. An honest-to-goodness psychic. And the surprises kept on coming. Are you cooking? If so, I think you may be burning something. My TV dinner? I had completely forgotten about it. I ran to the oven and took it out. It was well done, but still edible. I was about to explain to her how amazed I was, but she spoke first, and her voice had turned from charmingly gleeful to serious. Mary, do you live alone? Yes, I do. I don't want to alarm you, but there's someone else in your house. A shock of terror jolted through my body, and I spun around and peered down the darkened hallway behind me. I was about to dash down the hallway and out the front door when Psychic Gina gave me a warning. Whatever you do, do not run out of that house. If he hears you, he'll chase you down. For now, I just want you to stand there and stay silent. I did as she instructed. Mary, how many floors does your house have? Two. I'm on the first floor. Gina was quiet for several seconds before she finally spoke again. The intruder is on the second floor. Are you sure? Positive. I was able to hone in on his energy. I can sense him. She was quiet again for a short time before she asked me a question. Do you have any kind of weapon in the house? I nodded as I answered. Yes, I have a gun. It's in my purse. My purse was by the front door. In order to get to it, I'd have to walk down the hallway and pass the stairs that lead to the second floor. If the intruder was at the top of the stairs and heard me coming, he could race down the stairs and get to me before I could get to my purse. I took a few steps toward the hallway, but Gina stopped me. Don't move. I halted and listened to Gina. I sense that the intruder is frightened. He means you no harm. You won't need your gun. I want you to do the following. Shout out that you know he's there and that you have a gun, but that you'll give him 10 seconds to leave. Can you do that for me, Mary? I was reluctant. I didn't have my gun. What if the intruder called my bluff? Gina had been correct about everything else so far. Evidently, I trusted her enough to put my life in her hands. I took in a choppy breath before screaming out. I know you're in here. I have a gun. I'm going to kill you if you don't leave this house in the next 10 seconds. My final word was barely out of my mouth when I heard the sound of somebody tearing down the staircase. I could see a dark figure appear at the bottom of the stairs. They moved into the hallway, turned and glanced at me for a second before they spun around and bolted out of the front door. I collapsed to the floor in a nervous heap. Gina talked me down and helped me to relax. She explained that had I walked upstairs and surprised the intruder, he may have harmed me, or worse. The psychic saved my life. The psychic hotline. The intruder. Chad was the name of the man I was supposed to follow. He parked in a lot behind the restaurant. Lucky for me, he walked through the gloomy side of the alley on the way to the restaurant's entrance. Chad was about 5'11". He was thin and balding. He wore thin framed glasses. 
He wasn't the intimidating type, but that didn't mean a damn thing if he knew how to fight. I'm a big strong guy and I know how to handle myself. Most guys don't stand a chance against me and fortunately, Chad was no exception. I pulled him behind a dumpster, wrapped my arm around his throat, and held him in a chokehold as I repeatedly stabbed him in the back. I tossed his body in the dumpster and waited in the shadows until she emerged from the restaurant. She lived just a few blocks away and had walked there, so I followed. To most people, this gal would be considered average looking. Some may even describe her as homely, but to me, she was sexy. I always had a thing for librarian types. Her house was on the outskirts of town on a corner. Kinda busy and bright, but her backyard was dark and I was able to break in quietly. She had no idea. The Psychic Hotline The Psychic Mary Chadwell, a librarian from Princeton, Kentucky, called our psychic hotline three weeks ago. Although she hung up without ever speaking a word to a psychic, we knew she'd call again. As a matter of fact, we'd make sure of it. For us, first-time hang-up callers were a golden opportunity. Through caller ID, we'd get their phone number. With that, we could search various databases and obtain the caller's name and address. Further digging, both legally and illegally, would allow us to obtain more sensitive information, such as social security numbers, banking information, social media access, and more. With all that information, we are able to compile an accurate profile and routine of our target. When we hacked into Mary's dating website, we discovered she was chatting with a man named Chad and had scheduled a date with him. After digging around in Chad's profile, we found that he had referred to psychics as fortune-tellers to another woman he had been in communication with. Due to Chad's skeptical nature, we feared that Chad would potentially sway Mary from ever calling our psychic hotline again. So he had to be eliminated. Our man in that region took care of that problem and then followed Mary to her home. He successfully gained entry to the house and informed our desk as to Mary's doings. We instructed him to put a pill that we created into her drink. Our men who we hire for these positions are masters at stealth. He was able to silently, swiftly sneak into the kitchen while her back was turned and drop one of our suggestive sedatives into her lemonade without her ever knowing. Mary didn't even realize she passed out for a few minutes after sitting on the couch. It allowed us time to intercept the cable signal and insert our commercial which sent out subliminal messaging. In Mary's mind, she was never asleep. She was just flipping channels on television, happened upon our commercial, and was intrigued enough to call. It was easy to hook Mary simply by feeding her information about herself that we already knew from her profile. This was what we called the initial wow. We'd follow that up with the jaw dropper by pointing out something specific within the caller's home. In Mary's case, our intruder informed us of Mary's TV dinner. Then we implemented Project Lifesaver in which we informed Mary of the intruder within her house. We made sure to find out about Mary's weapon situation and encouraged her not to use it. We had an unfortunate incident years ago where a woman shot six holes into one of our men, but we learned from that mistake. Our man escaped unharmed and Mary was under the impression that I saved her life. After that, it was easy to get her to sign up for our annual Super Saver plan, which cost the low, low price of just $10,000 per year. Another day, another satisfied customer. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to support the show, 
buy some of my books. I have a bunch of them, and most of them are free with Kindle Unlimited. Don't have Kindle Unlimited? No problem. They're all priced pretty cheap. Go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash books. A dinner to die for. My name is Gilles Blanc. I am an esteemed food critic. Oh, forgive me as I correct myself. I am THE esteemed food critic. My reviews can, and often do, make or break a restaurant. My reputation is impeccable, and my opinions revered the world over. My salary is more than enough to keep me honest, but between you and me, my opinions can be swayed with an under-the-table cash sweetener. Or, if the restaurant owner has an attractive daughter, there are other ways to sway me. Ah, I do love my job. The power I wield is vast. Those within the restaurant industry stand to make room when I'm in their presence. I'm a king. The restaurateurs are my peasants. It was a Friday afternoon as I stepped into the parking garage to retrieve my Bentley. I had a full slate of restaurants on the docket to cast into stardom or send to the graveyard. As I approached my luxury vehicle, I was surprised to see world-famous chef Antoine Jacques Humbert blocking my path. The balding chef was fully draped in a spotless white chef's jacket. His arms were folded in a defensive posture, and he glared at me with hatred in his chestnut eyes. I had recently written a scornful review of Chef Humbert's newest prize restaurant. This restaurant was his baby. It was the establishment he had always dreamed of. It opened to rave reviews and all that was needed to send it skyrocketing into worldwide prominence was a positive review from yours truly and I would have been happy to oblige. After all, the food was fantastic. However, Chef Humbert had reached the point in his celebrity where he felt he no longer needed my review, and he wasn't interested in playing ball. I had to teach this man a lesson. I wrote the most damning review of his restaurant that I have ever put out into the world. I even mentioned that I saw cockroaches in the kitchen, which was untrue of course, but he needed to be dropped down a peg and be reminded as to who the emperor of the culinary world truly was. I wasn't intimidated by Chef Umber in the least. He was a short, elf-like man who looked like a child next to my bulbous 300-pound frame. If push came to shove, I was certain I could squash him like a Concord grape. The four gorilla-like men in suits flanking Chef Humbert were the ones I was concerned about. They too held stern expressions, and their intimidating eyes were fixed on me and blocked me from reaching my vehicle. I barked out at Chef Humbert. What is the meaning of this? An arrogant grin came across his pale face. I'd like to escort you to dinner, my treat. Before I could deny his request, I felt a gargantuan arm wrap around my neck from behind, followed by the sharp pain of a needle entering the flesh of my buttocks. Two seconds later, I blacked out. When I came to, I found myself bound to a steel chair inside a stainless steel restaurant kitchen. I could hear the restrained rumble of liquid boiling in a distant corner of the room. Smoke loitered gently under the lights, 
and I could smell the subtle aroma of butter, onions, and cilantro lingering together in the air. My chair had been pulled up to a small table that donned a fork atop a forest green linen napkin. I was able to move my head and noticed my right arm was free. I immediately used my free arm to reach for my restraints, but startled when I heard Chef Humbert shout, Stop! His dainty body stepped out of the darkness. The main light in the kitchen beamed upon him like a spotlight. Your movement will only be necessary when it comes to eating. If you attempt to undo your restraints, you will suffer consequences. With that, Chef Umbert's goons stepped into the bright light and stared at me with ferocity. That was enough to render me still. It was then that I noticed my entire body was numb. I was void of feeling, with the exception of my entire right arm and head. When I started to panic, Chef Umbert explained. You can holster your anxiety. The process of restraining you will no doubt result in soreness. I cannot have you focused on the pain, so you were administered a numbing agent. Now, you can fully appreciate the dinner I have prepared for you. You're crazy. I am not going to eat one thing you have prepared. Before my last word was fully ousted from my mouth, Chef Humbert had rocketed toward me. He quickly produced a paring knife and held the point of the blade a mere inch from my eyeball. You will eat, or I will pluck your eyes out. He really was crazy. He had gone insane. His lividness quickly transitioned into peaceful demeanor as he smiled and patted me on the shoulder. You're going to enjoy this. I could feel my heart beating within my chest. My breath was choppy, but I tried to suppress it and remain calm. It had become clear to me that if I had any chance of surviving this night, I was going to have to eat whatever he put in front of me. The first dish he presented was Rocky Mountain Oysters. I've had this dish many times, and believe it or not, oysters are not an ingredient. The main ingredient is bull testicles. The testicles were cooked in lime juice and served with tomatoes, onions, and cilantro. Honestly, this was the best version of the dish I had ever had. I began raving about the tenderness of the testicles and the perfection of the spices, but Chef Humbert held up a hand. You will save your review for when you have finished ingesting all of my dishes tonight. I nodded and was presented with the next plate. Stuffed pig intestines. They appeared to be boiled and stuffed with noodles, blood sauce, and a medley of spices that erupted in my mouth. Bull testicles and pig intestines. I was picking up this maniac's theme. He was insulting me while at the same time pleasuring my taste buds. I suppose it was somewhat brilliant in a psychopathic kind of way. The final dish was a classic liver and onions, my favorite, and I was not disappointed. The onions had been sliced and sautéed, slowly coaxing out their sweetness. The liver was pan-fried, brushed with a butter gravy, and garnished with sweet pepper slices. The simplicity of the Z presentation brilliantly lowered expectations. The flavor I experienced could not be represented visually, so why bother? The liver was the most tender I ever experienced. 
It literally melted in my mouth, and the lingering sweetness of the onions was an afterglow of glory. I was moaning out my pleasure as Chef Humbert approached me. How do you like your liver? I let out a sigh of joy. How can I begin to describe perfection? Chef Humbert shook his head. I don't think you understand. He moved his face closer to me. The key word in my question was your. How do you like your liver? I realized the situation even before he took the pleasure of explaining it clearly. Those were your testicles. Those were your intestines. That is your liver. In your own eyes, you are the pinnacle of greatness. Thus, how can I serve you anything less than the best? Clearly, I wasn't going to survive the night. But there was something comforting about the fact that my last meal was going to be the best plate of liver and onions that I ever had in my life. Here's a super fun way to support the show. Go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash store and buy some Maniac on the Loose merchandise. Let the world know you're a listener. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, hats, mugs, there's a bunch of items to choose from. And you have a multitude of design choices, including all of my book covers. Go take a look. It's super cool. Go on. Do it. Right now. Go. ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash store. Off the beaten path, the cabin owner. I bought a cabin in the middle of nowhere about two years ago. It was basically an afterthought to the 50 acres of land I purchased. If anyone else would have bought that plot of land, they'd have had the old cabin bulldozed, but I'm pretty good at fixing up old places, and that's exactly what I did. The cabin was really old. Judging from the age of the wood and the dovetail cabin joints, I guess the cabin was built in the 1940s. No telling how long it had been abandoned for. Anyhow, I fixed it up, but don't go getting the wrong idea. I didn't turn the old place into some luxurious, breathtaking piece of art. It's just an old rustic cabin that is now livable. The cabin is long and thin. My office-slash-bedroom is at one end of the cabin. There's a bathroom just outside of the bedroom in the hallway. The hall is unusually long and ends at the living room, which has a small attached kitchen. Beyond that is the guest room. I love it in the middle of nowhere. No nosy neighbors, no uninvited guests, just peace and quiet. I was working in my office-slash-bedroom on my computer. Out in the middle of nowhere, I have to use satellite internet. It's slow and expensive, but it's good enough for my needs. I was in the final stages of posting something for sale on an auction website when I heard a loud thump from the other end of the cabin. I got up and stared down the long hallway. I had a small fire going in the living room fireplace which was casting an orange glow over the room. I stood and listened for a long moment. I didn't hear anything else. Had I had a cat or dog, I would have assumed they had knocked something over, but I didn't have any pets. I did get a lot of mice. It was possible that they bumped something in the pantry. I walked down the hallway into the living room and listened again. Silence. I concluded that the thump was likely the logs shifting in the fireplace. So I went back to work. I was typing away, putting up another listing, when I heard the distinct sound of footsteps in the cabin. 
I instantly stood up and hurried to the hallway. Hello? There was no response. I moved swiftly down the hall, through the living room, and into the kitchen. I opened the pantry door and peeked in. Nothing unusual. I rushed to the guest room, opened the door, and popped my head in. Everything seemed as it should have been. I moved the curtains and peered outside. Again, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. But those were footsteps I heard. They were definitely footsteps. I had no idea as to the cabin's past. Had this kind of thing happened during the first couple of months of me living there, I would have been worried that I was living in a haunted house. But I had been in the cabin for just over two years and hadn't experienced anything paranormal in that time, so I was reluctant to let my mind steer me in that direction. After a few minutes of nothing eventful happening, I shrugged and got back to work. It couldn't have been more than ten minutes later when I heard the loud, slow, distinct creak of my front door opening. When opened quickly, that door made no sound, but open it very slowly and it makes the most unnerving creak you'll ever hear. I hurried to the hallway. The front door was at the end of the hallway at the edge of the living room. I could see from the flickering glow of the fireplace that it was ajar. Who's there? No answer. I grabbed a pistol from my desk drawer, dashed through the hallway to the front door and ran out onto the front porch. I didn't see anyone or anything. I walked down my river-rocked walkway to my driveway. Next to my driveway was a big maple tree. I had a trail camera tied to it. It was a quality trail camera. It operated on batteries and when activated by motion would capture 10 seconds of video. If someone or something had been around there, the trail camera likely would have caught it. I took the trail camera off the tree, stepped back into my cabin and closed the front door. I brought the camera into my office, attached it to my computer, and downloaded the footage. I hadn't downloaded it in a few days. The first few images were of a deer meandering through the yard. One shot was of a raccoon munching on a corn cob I had thrown outside the day before. It was the last video taken that I was interested in. The trail camera had caught something mere minutes ago. I quickly brought up the video and played it. I stopped breathing for a moment when I saw it. It was a pale girl with long black hair. She was in a nightgown and was slowly moving past the trail camera's view. Oh shit. It was then that I heard thudding footsteps coming from my front porch. I grabbed my pistol and hurried to the front door. As I reached out for the doorknob, the front door flung open with force and banged into my head. I fell to the ground with a clunk. The room was spinning. Within seconds, I blacked out. Off the beaten path, the hunter. I'm what I refer to as a lone wolf hunter. I love hunting, but I like to do it alone and I like to do it at night. I like to drive out to the middle of nowhere until I see absolutely no signs of life. I'll then pitch a small tent, take my night vision goggles, and do some serious hunting. That's what I did that night. I found the perfect spot in the middle of nowhere. I hadn't even finished putting up my tent when I was startled by something rustling in the nearby brush. I grabbed my spotlight and shined it near the sound and spotted a massive 12-point buck. It was a beauty and it was fast. It took off through the woods and I immediately gave chase. I had been tracking the gorgeous animal for over two hours when I stepped out of the forest and into the clearing. Turns out the clearing was somebody's yard. Across an acre of trim yard I could see a small old cabin. 
There was a light on in one of the far windows. Folks who live in the middle of nowhere don't usually take kindly to strangers wandering around their yards at night. They typically shoot first and ask questions later, so I opted to hightail it out of there. That's when I saw the ghost of a young woman. Her skin was sickly pale, her dark hair was long and covering the majority of her face. She was dressed in a white nightgown that ended just below her knees. She was moving at a slow, steady pace, but stopped when she spotted me. We both stood still for a long moment while we eyed each other. My heart was pounding like a drum. When the girl opened her mouth and let out a horrid shriek, I turned and ran. I should have been more careful about where I was going, but I was in a full-blown panic. I could hear her. I could hear the ghost chasing over the dried floor of the forest after me, and she was gaining ground. When I tripped over a log, I fell hard and rolled onto my back. I looked up and could see the ghost coming for me. Its eyes were locked on me and it was charging. It didn't even slow down when it jumped through the air and pounced on top of me. Off the beaten path, the girl in the nightgown. I work for a traveling circus. I'm a contortionist, and night after night, I showcase my amazing physical flexibility. We had just finished up a show in a small town in northern Tennessee. I had about two hours to kill before the bus left, so I decided to stop in at a bar not too far from the venue. A couple of stiff drinks would help me to sleep on the bus through the night. The bar was bustling and there was a live acoustic band playing bluegrass. There was a man across the bar who kept making eye contact with me. He was probably ten years my senior, but was extremely attractive. Eventually he stepped to the bar and made some chit chat with me. After a few minutes he offered to buy me a drink. I accepted. I remember suddenly feeling extremely weak and breaking out in a cold sweat. Things get hazy after that. I vaguely remember someone helping me to a car. I woke up in a room with three other women. We all appeared to be in the same age range of 19 to 23. It took me a few minutes to realize that all four of us were bound, gagged, and dressed in white nightgowns. I started moaning, and one of the other girls quickly spoke to me in a mumble through the gag. The gag kept our voices hushed, but I could understand her. Don't scream. He'll get mad and beat you up. She nodded her head at one of the other women in the room. She was battered and bruised. One of her eyes was swollen shut. She was whimpering quietly. Where am I? What happened? Were you at a bar talking to a nice-looking guy about 5'10 with blonde, wavy hair? I nodded. He slipped something in your drink and brought you here. That's what he did to all of us. What does he want? She shook her head. I don't know. I had my wits about me now and scanned the room. It was a small bedroom of some sort. Our ankles were tied with rope and our wrists were bound behind our backs. There was a plain door at the end of the room. It didn't appear to be locked. It would be extremely difficult to get up if I weren't a contortionist who'd train daily to move in nearly impossible ways. I was able to rise up and leap to my feet, but my actions made a loud thud. I could see the other women's eyes open in fear, indicating that they thought our captor likely heard that. I quickly sat back down with the rest of the girls and acted groggy in case the kidnapper returned, but he didn't. I heard him walking around a bit, but then his footsteps faded into the distance and things went quiet. I was ready to try again. I leapt to my feet quietly this time. I was easily able to step backwards over my ankles, thus bringing my bound hands to the front of my body. The rope around my wrists was tight, but I was able to loosen it with my teeth and eventually get it off. From there, 
I untied my ankles. I bent down to untie the girl next to me, but she shook her head. Go get help. I nodded and hurried out of the room. I found myself in a darkened kitchen that was attached to a living room. There was a modest fire in the fireplace that cast enough of a glow that I could see what appeared to be the front door to the house. It was next to a hallway. As long as our captor wasn't standing in the hallway, I felt like I could sneak away without him knowing. As I stood walking through the kitchen, I realized that the full circulation of my legs hadn't returned, and it caused me to take much harder, louder steps than I meant to. Hello? He heard me. I rushed back into the room, loosely tied the rope back behind my ankles, hid my hands behind my back, and sat back down against the wall with the rest of the girls. A few moments later, the room's door opened and the kidnapper popped his head in. It was indeed the man from the bar. He appeared satisfied with the way things looked within the room and left. It was ten minutes later when things had been quiet long enough that I felt comfortable attempting another escape. The circulation of my legs had improved and I was able to silently sneak through the kitchen and living room to the front door. I peered down the unusually long hallway to make sure nobody was there. The hall ended at a room. The room's door was open. I could see a bluish hue in the room indicating that someone was watching TV or maybe using a computer, but I couldn't see them. This was my chance. I slowly began opening the front door and it made the most unnerving creak that I'd ever heard. The kidnapper definitely had to have heard that. I had to move fast. I stepped out onto the front porch. A full moon hung low in the sky, illuminating my surroundings. I was in the middle of nowhere. I attempted to run, but my legs were stiff. I couldn't move as fast as I wanted to, but I managed to move along at a slow, steady pace. I halted when I saw the hunter. He was a chubby man in his fifties. He was decked out in camouflage and was wearing a bright orange knit cap. The man was either the kidnapper's accomplice or just a hunter who happened upon the area. If he was an accomplice, the jig was up for me. But by the way he was staring at me with a frozen expression of fear, I assumed he wasn't involved. I opened my mouth and attempted to yell out for help, but my throat was very sore and swollen by whatever drug the kidnapper gave me, so my voice came across as a horrid shriek that sent the petrified hunter scrambling through the woods. The man was likely my only chance to get out of this predicament, so I chased him. The stiffness in my legs subsided with every step I took, and in no time I was racing toward the clumsy hunter. When he stumbled over a log and fell onto his back, I leapt onto him and started screaming out everything all at once. He freaked out at first. He yelled out something about me being a demented ghost. Once he realized I was no such thing, he calmed down and listened to every word I uttered. When I explained that there were others still trapped in the house, his eyes perked up. He insisted on going to the cabin to rescue them. I didn't disagree. The chubby hunter held his rifle in the ready position as he hurried up to the cabin door. I took shield behind him. He stopped at the front door and listened to the silence for a moment before he leaned over and whispered to me, I'm going to kick the door in and take him by surprise. And the hunter did just that. He kicked that door and it flew open with a bang. The hunter and I were both confused when we saw the kidnapper lying unconscious on the floor. Apparently the hunter kicked that door open at the perfect time. After I released my fellow prisoners, we bound and gagged the kidnapper. Then the hunter made a ghastly discovery. The kidnapper's computer was showing a link to a black market auction website that was only available on the deep dark web. The kidnapper was posting pictures of us girls, whom he had dressed up in nightgowns, and was auctioning us off to the highest bidder. 
God only knows what those sickos wanted to do to us. Judging by the bids, we would have brought him a pretty penny. I found the kidnapper's phone next to his computer and called the police. The lunatic is everywhere. An extremely dangerous patient has escaped from the Dawson Springs Asylum for the Criminally Insane. The radio announcer's statement sent shivers through my entire body. The asylum is just down the road from where I work. It's a menacing fortress of towering, unesthetic cinder blocks that overshadows the entire town. I hated being so close to that creepy place. To top it off, it was Halloween night. The town was bustling with costumed people. Any one of them could have been the psychopath shielding their identity from all of us and hiding in plain sight. Unfortunately for me, I was out and about in the town that evening. I work for a bakery. Once a month I have to pick up a series of monthly orders from local restaurants. I can get up early that day and get the orders in before work, or if they're open, I can get it over with the night before. On this particular night, they were all open. Halloween is a big deal in our historic sleepy town. They have a gigantic festival every Halloween. They have costume contests, candy giveaways, haunted walking tours, haunted carriage rides, pub crawls, and many other things. The result is an extremely energetic and active community clogging the streets. I had six restaurants in town that I needed to get orders from. The first three went smoothly, but on my way to the fourth restaurant, I encountered a man dressed as a hobo clown on the street corner. He was holding an assortment of balloons and his eyes were fixed on me. Then he waved. He wasn't smiling. His mouth was turned upside down in a frown. Or maybe that was just an effect from his sad clown makeup. I wasn't sure. There were throngs of people moving past him in every direction, so why was he staring and waving at me? It was possible I knew him. I knew loads of people in town, but his makeup concealed his identity, so I couldn't be sure. It was also possible that he was the escaped mental patient, and he had honed in on me as his next victim. I hurried away in the opposite direction of the hobo clown, and bolted into the entrance of the fourth restaurant on my list. I must have looked a little flustered as the hostess asked me if I wanted some water. I explained that I was fine, got the order that I needed, and exited. I was almost to the fifth restaurant when I found myself frozen with fear. There was a hulking man standing in the middle of the sidewalk wearing a hockey mask. He was standing stock still, and I swear he was glaring at me. People were passing by him and commenting on how authentic his costume was. But maybe this wasn't a costume at all. Maybe this was the escaped maniac from the asylum and he was simply wearing his everyday killing outfit. Yes, he was moving his attention to many different people and seemed willing to allow numerous folks to stop and take pictures with him, but every once in a while, he'd look my way and I'd break out in goosebumps. I feared this was the crazy escapee and that he wanted to chop me into little bits. Even if it was faster to get to the next restaurant on my list if I passed by the deranged, hockey-mask-wearing sociopath, I turned around and went the long way. I felt safe once I entered the fifth restaurant, and everything went as expected, so I made my way for the sixth and final restaurant on my list. The crowd in the town was now at its peak. As I moved through the swarming sidewalks, several people were brushing against me. Any one of them could have been the dangerous loony. It was too loud for anyone to notice, but 
Every single time someone touched me, I let out a tiny squeal of terror. I found myself dashing through the crowd, sidestepping every potential lunatic along the way. I wouldn't be safe until I got to my sixth and final stop. It seemed like forever, but I finally reached the entrance to the restaurant. Just before I stepped inside to safety, I took a quick scan around at the prospective wackos in my midst. There was one that stood out. He was dressed as an escaped convict in black and white stripes. He was looking in my direction, and it dawned on me that he may just be wearing his normal mental hospital garb. On any other day, he'd stand out like a sore thumb, but on Halloween night, this escaped psycho was simply blending in with everyone else. I hurried into the restaurant and took care of business. When I exited the restaurant, I was relieved that the convict-attired mental patient was no longer in sight. I let out a few deep breaths and started for my vehicle, which was parked a few blocks away. Our movie theater in the middle of town is quite the sight. They still have their mammoth marquee from the 1950s lit up every night in its full glory. I was passing by the ticket booth out front when I saw him. It was the man in the convict costume, which I was pretty sure wasn't a costume at all. He was walking right toward me and I panicked. I suppressed a scream as I spun around and began to flee, but then I came to an abrupt halt. Walking toward me in the other direction was a tall, feminine figure dressed in a tight black cat suit and donning a fierce, snarling cat mask. The Catwoman was strutting as she walked and was moving in my direction at an increasingly deliberate pace. It was then that I realized I never heard the radio announcer say whether the escaped maniacal person was a man or a woman. I felt myself quivering in fear. I wasn't sure which way to go, but I finally realized I had another option. I stepped up to the lone standing exterior ticket booth and quickly purchased a ticket to the movie before racing into the front door of the theater. As the theater usher took my ticket, he noticed that I kept looking over my shoulder out the lobby door at the people on the street. Are you okay, ma'am? I nodded. Yes, I'm just a little bit frightened. The usher flashed me a reassuring smile as he spoke. Well, you'll be safe inside here. I entered the movie theater and plopped down in one of the middle row seats. It appeared that I arrived in the middle of the movie. I couldn't be sure how many other people were in the theater. It was too dark to tell, but there weren't many, probably five or six. They were playing some gory slasher flick. Not my cup of tea, to say the least, but I didn't care. I just wanted to sit in a safe place for a little while. I was disappointed when the movie ended and the theater lights came on. I felt comforted while sitting there amongst the other people. I wanted to feel that peace a little longer, but that was out of my control. When I stood up to leave, I noticed something strange. Nobody else was getting up. There were two people a few rows in front of me, three people scattered in various rows behind me, and a couple in the back of the theater in a side row. They all remained seated. I turned back around and looked at the white screen in front of me. The movie and credits were over, so what were they all looking at? As I stepped out of my row into the aisle and began moving up the ramp toward the theater doors, I looked closely at one of the people in the closest row behind me. It was a man in his late fifties, balding. His eyes were wide open as he stared forward, but his eyes were unusually still, almost lifeless. That's when I noticed the blood streaming down the man's throat. He was dead. He had been murdered. I quickly scanned around at the other people in the theater. They too were covered in blood. Some had lifeless open eyes, others had closed eyes, some were slumped over in their seats while some were still sitting upright. But they were all dead. There was no mistaking that. 
I screamed and ran toward the theater exit. Apparently the usher heard my anguished cry and met me at the door. He held me by the upper arms and tried to calm me down while he attempted to ascertain what was going on. Are you okay, lady? What's wrong? What's wrong? I was sobbing as I pointed around at the dead patrons in the theater. They're dead. They're all dead. The usher nodded at me. Yes, I know. I killed them. My mind was slow to process what was being said to me, but the usher continued. After escaping from the asylum, I couldn't risk being seen in the streets, so I came here. I killed the usher and took his clothes. I didn't like the way the moviegoers were looking at me, so I killed them too. His eyes widened and he tilted his head to the side as he inspected my expression. They were looking at me the same way you are. The escaped lunatic had a firm grasp on my arms. I was at his mercy. Stop looking at me like that! As he moved his hands from my arms to my throat and began squeezing, I found myself wishing that I was out on the streets amongst the crowd of townspeople where I would be safe. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for our newsletter and I'll give you some free stuff. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Most of my books are now available as audiobooks. Go to maniacontheloose.com slash audiobooks.